Hello and welcome to Unprofessional Engineering. My name is James. You got Luke. Luke, today we are revisiting fusion reactors. So I poo-pooed coming back to this, but you did. I'm pretty hard. pretty sure that you said you had a very, I'll say, um, convincing write-in. That we'll was go with convincing. Yeah. Convincing, I, I think is the nice way of saying annoying. What's the uh, word, the, the phrase, like the squeaky wheel gets the it, grease? It gets the oil. Gets the oil? Okay. It's something. Well, if you want an episode made, all you have to do is make a Twitter account named when will unprofessional engineering do an episode on fill in the blank or something like that? I thought that was, I saw that at like two weeks ago or something. And I oh, was it's like, been going a long time. Like, this is weird. Like, was that like an accident? Like I thought James was like <laughs> typing like something, thinking he was replying and he was creating account. It's rather oh, creative. I'll give you that. Very um, creative. Yeah. So, so good work. You got this done. If you, like that person, really love to geek out on this kind of information, head over to phys, P-H-Y-S dot org slash tags slash nuclear fusion. And you can see like all the latest like nerdy articles on everything fusion related. It's pretty interesting. I don't understand most of it. So, you know, I'll put so, that out there. So this is from the person who is requesting the write-in. That that site? Yeah. No, that was oh. from me doing crack research. Okay, because I was going to say they will be they will be let down based off of our research if they're out there writing articles. I I have a Let's shout out. Know. I can't remember if it's this episode or the next one. It, it's about disappointment in us. Um, moving on, Luke. Are you ready? I am. I mean, my first question, James. Okay. Like, what is nuclear fusion? Hmm. Pop top of your head. I wasn't ready for that. What I'm going to say it is, is, you know, nuclear fusion reactions, Luke, they're reactions. They're the power like that comes from the sun. So the sun and the stars create nuclear fusion reactions. And this is the kind of energy that humans, mere humans are trying to capture and harness to power the world. So this is happening all around us right now. Like the sun is doing it right now. All around the world, the sun and the stars are doing nuclear fusion reactions. You see, Luke, in a fusion reaction, two light nuclei merge to form a single heavier nucleus. And that process releases energy because the total mass of the resulting single nucleus is less than the mass of the two original nuclei. And so that leftover mass becomes energy. And that, in essence, is a fusion reaction. I like how you changed the word combine from the what did cut, I say? the cut and paste you did. What did I what did I say? The, the original word and what you cut and pasted was the word combine and you I think you changed it to fuse or join at oh. the beginning after the word nuclei. Oh, I said merge. On my my <laughs> steel it was a merge. Fun fact, Luke, oh. or maybe an extra nerdy fact for for you. Einstein's equation, E equals MC squared, right? Mm -hmm. Everybody knows that, I think. Everybody. Uh, which says in part that mass and energy can be converted into each other. Boop, 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 boop. That's the mm -hmm. noise it makes when it converts. Um, this explains this process and why the process occurs. And if you go back even further, it was like the 20th century after the discovery of radioactivity that we figured out nuclear fission or nuclear fusion in science. So in 1904, a guy by the name of 
Ernest Rutherford suggested that radioactive decay may be responsible for the sun's output of energy, which I don't, I mean, I couldn't come up with that on my own right now. And it's, you know, a hundred plus years later. And then in 1920, Sir Arthur Eddington proposed that the sun could be producing energy as expressed by Einstein's work by the merging of hydrogen atoms to create helium and thus Get, thus giving off the heat and light, essentially nuclear fusion energy production, which is kind of what we're looking to do. I like that. Fascinating. Are we done with the episode or we got to do a little more detail at this point? Uh, I am about out of information. So I think we could probably wrap things up here. Hopefully so, our listener enjoyed no, that. No, 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 no. That was a no? joke. Okay. Uh, <laughs> so uh, I'm going to do a little bit of history. Just to kind of bring us up to speed where we history. are right now. Yeah. Uh, and yeah, you mentioned a couple of this. So um, so there was uh, a famous experiment in 1934 where Rutherford showed that fusion of deridium into helium and observed that an enormous effect was produced. Deuterium? Deuterium. Yeah. I, you know me and my reads. I know, I, can't I know. Um, and he observed <laughs> that uh, an enormous effect was produced during the process. Uh, one of his students, Mark O'Flat, I'm, again, I'm terrible. <laughs> I think you got um, that one. Used an updated version of his equipment, firing deuterium? Deuterium, yep. Deuterium, um, rather than hydrogen, and discovered helium-3 and teridium, showing that the heavy hydrogen nuclei could be made to react with each other. So this was the very first time they ever demonstrated in the lab that this was possible. You think they were doing that experiment and they're like, man, did that work? We are so good. We are going to have this thing cracked in no time. <laughs> Meanwhile, Fast forward like a hundred years later and it's yeah. like, I right, give us another 30, 40, 50 years and maybe we got this. <laughs> mm -hmm. So this is I like, this is like twenties, thirties, right? Yep. So then uh, 1950s, um, what starts happening is all these different devices are being developed. And mm -hmm. uh, in the 1950s, uh, the Soviet Union, uh, a scientist named Andrei Sharakova and Igor Tam, T-A-M-M, -M, proposed the design of a magnetic confinement fusion device. This is the Tokamak or mm -hmm. Tomahawk, as I so cleverly call it. Um, and this was followed by another scientist in 1951, Liam Spitzer, uh, Spitzer. who had a concept for uh, a, a stellinator. A stellinator. Uh, yeah, the stellinator concept um, was was kind of, I'll say, not as efficient as uh the tokamak and there they kind of like lost interest so the soviet the design that the soviets essentially developed in the 1950s is actually what is being used today essentially it's obviously newer and different and different yeah, but the yeah. concept of the design of using but a plasma field to contain it and all that is is really what from the last time we did this and i do think it was fusion versus fission like yep. all good um that was the one that's shaped like a donut right yes okay yeah, mm -hmm. it's a basically a circular. Yeah, and I and, and we'll talk about some stats on the machine in a minute. Important um, science question first: donuts or bagels? Oh, donuts. Yeah, yeah it's I the think right choice. So. Okay, yeah, thank you. Is, Continue on. Um, I had a really long conversation about donuts with my wife the other day for some reason. <laughs> I don't know why. Uh, so seventies and eighties. 
Um, this is whenever there was lots of things happening with the Cold War and the Soviets and the Americans, and there was all kinds of development happening all over the place. And they decided that they had to actually you know, start to standardize to make sure that this was safe. They were sharing mm -hmm. resources. So there were lots of organizations that were uh, being created. Uh, the first one uh, was the Joint European Taurus, the shape, uh, T-O-R-U-S, because of the shape of the device. Um, that was in 1973. And then uh, the ITER, I-T-E-R, uh, started to take place in the early 80s. And this was really where um, Mikhail Gorbachev and President Ronald Reagan decided they were going to work together and join forces on the concept for uh, nuclear fusion. Uh, was Gorbachev one we liked or did we not like him? Uh, I think we liked Gorbachev. He was the, I mean, basically he's the reason why like the Cold War kind of ended, you know. Yeah. Um, seems like a good thing. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then in 2000, so all the way up to present, uh, 2005, the ITER members unanimously agreed that the ITER, this is the location and the research facility that is developing this, sure. uh, would be built in um, Conshohocken, Canderanch, I don't know how you, can, can, You're just making up noises. Conchi, France, um, huh. and in December 2022, this was just all that long ago, uh, it passed uh, a project phase, a 70% milestone for the work scope completed in the first plasma. So uh, this was just like, I don't know, a couple months ago. Uh, and I think you're going to get into the details of that specific achievement. Um, so that gets us caught up to today. Fantastic. And now that we're caught up to, for caught up to today, let's take a break today for a word from our sponsor. I have to assume it's uh, ITER. Itter says, you know, this fusion thing isn't working out for us, so here's some money since we can't, you know, make this energy happen. No, no sponsor, Luke. Bless you. Um, but also, we do have a couple shout-outs. Oh, so much better than money and sponsors. Absolutely. People that uh, don't pay us complaining. Go. This is... <laughs> this one isn't a complaint, but oh. this is Zach W. And I've been... I've been pretty careful with this guy's shout out. Um, I don't remember if I gave him one in an older episode or not, but here we go. His write-in said, Hey guys, I am a new listener and I was just listening to the moon landing episode. I am proposing to my girlfriend this week who works on the Artemis program. She works hard to dumb the details down for me, but would love to hear y'all cover it. Update, Luke, update for our listeners. I said to him, I hope the proposal went well, and he said, it did. Got a yes from the engineer who makes me look like Luke. Night. Take that as you will. <laughs> I feel like that's Literally a dig. Literally what he said. I, I mean, feel like that's a dig. I took it as... Make me look like Luke? She makes him feel like he's as handsome as you are. I thought maybe as dumb as I am is where he was going. I, I would never make that connection. But anyway, Zach, congratulations. Congrats. Um, I don't know if Luke's really feeling heartfelt about that one. No. But, um, the next one is just the shout out to the person who inspired this episode. We'll call him has unprofessional engineering made fusion episode number two question mark on Twitter. He's He's been giving us like lots of praise on Twitter. He's been very friendly about it and very patient. He regularly updates if we've made this episode roughly every two days by posting, nope, 
Nope. Do, do we nope. know who this, over I mean, do you know again. the person's real name? Like, I don't it, know them personally, but I believe they emailed in at one point as well. And I had some like Twitter conversations as well. Okay. Okay. But yeah, so they're really into, into this stuff. So I hope, I just hope we do it justice. I, I'm going to do it not justice on purpose. Well, there's that. That's another approach. Um, that's how you build fanatical listeners. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> so if any of you want to, you know, harass us into doing an episode, if you want to, you know, help us be involved with your proposal or um, go to your wedding like we've done in the past, anything like that, why don't you email us at unprofessionalengineering at gmail.com. And don't forget to subscribe, like, share. We love the reviews. And as always, you can tell your smart devices to play the Unprofessional Engineering Podcast anytime. Nailed that. Um, also, go to our store and buy crap, huh? Yeah. If you go to unprofessionalengineering.com, there's a store tab. It leads you to another page. You can buy t-shirts and stickers, and that's probably it. But you and know, you what else could stuff, you want? Like, we could do this more and quit oh, our day jobs. Just buy all of the stuff. I think we make something like... 82 cents a t-shirt at this point because the prices are now so high we would be better so. off like drawing the t-shirts <laughs> with like sharpies and sending them really good and then it would be a piece of art oh. on top of it oh goodness luke um let's see here we're moving on did you have more that you wanted to cover uh were we going to talk about the specific reaction a little bit more I was going to talk about how neutrons combine oh, together, you got which it. I think is what we're talking. Do Continue. you want me to jump in on that? Uh, please do. All right. So it takes a whole bunch of energy and a whole bunch of pressure to make this reaction that we discussed earlier happen. So to induce nuclear fusion, even between like light atomic nuclei, it takes tons of pressure and energy. Atomic nuclei contain positively charged protons and neutral neutrons, obviously, and do not want to come close to each other normally. They kind of repel each other like magnets of the same charge, right? Uh, the Coulomb force, which describes how charges repel each other and opposite charges attract, is something that comes into play here. It keeps the two atomic nuclei from colliding with each other. But we want them to collide together, Luke. If you set the two atoms on a direct collision course with the intention of making these nuclei just smash together into each other and stick together, you need to make them speed up really, 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 really fast and smash into each other. And that makes one of the protons or something or a number of the protons stick to the neutrons and overcome the Coulomb force. So nuclear binding energy is another term that they use, and this is the minimum amount of energy that it takes to break apart the atomic nucleus. The denser the element that you have, if you think back to your uh, periodic table of elements that you probably had to memorize back mm -hmm. in high school, uh, the more energy, so the denser the element, the more energy it takes to break its nucleus apart. When we cause nuclear fission or nuclear fusion in this case, the uh, nuclear binding energy can then be released. And this is how nuclear fission and fusion can be used to produce electricity. It's that binding energy that's then released, giving us power. So for heavier elements, nuclear fusion does not release fusion energy, but for lighter elements, such as hydrogen and helium, like we discussed previously, uh, the two atoms combine and the resultant third atom is filled with excess energy. And that neutron or two neutrons, whatever it might be, um, you know, go and, you know, make it unstable, provide the power, blah, 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 blah. So and can so I talk on. about the two ways that they control that? I would love you to do that. 
so more than anything. We talked about the tomahawk a little bit, which is a magnetic, <laughs> uh, which is which is a magnetic version. So th- there's essentially two theories. There's actually a couple, but the, the two leading ones, and the the most prominent one is the use of magnets. Uh, so the this magnetic is the, yeah, confinement reactors. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So 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 this is the leading approach that is happening uh, at um, uh, it's a yeah it's a uh, it's a yeah um our sponsor and, yeah and essentially yeah. what they're using is they're using magnets to basically contain uh the plasma that's happening inside of that torus shape i'm gonna device. put this out there i don't really understand plasma i don't either it's there were like- three states of matter when i went to school as far as i know plasma seems like magic and that's that okay continue yeah i i, I don't get it either um but the the other one that is still happening and they're still studying is the laser approach and this approach uses grain size capsules of atoms this um, is silly yeah with colossal lasers and what it does it sparks an instantaneous burst of energy this is also known as initial confinement fusion inertial confinement inertial yeah inertial um and the most notable place this is being done is actually in the united states at the mm-hmm. national ignition facility nif um it's the size of three football fields um Oof. and the uh where is that the, the nf produ- uh, precisely guides and amplifies reflects and focuses 192 powerful laser beams onto a target the size of a pencil eraser with a few billionths of a second, it delivers more than 2 million joules of ultraviolet energy and 500 trillion watts of peak power. That sounds like a lot. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, it's just like, uh, it, it's just, I don't know. It's, um, it's very, like, doing this research hurts because I don't understand any of it. And I feel like I'm just reading things like, like I, we could literally be reading a different language right now. And I would feel the same way about it. I do feel like this one's kind of on the edge for me, but it's nothing compared to, do you remember like probably five plus years ago, people, someone wrote in and was like, would you do quantum computing and quantum mechanics? And we tried. And I think that's one of, maybe the only one or one of two episodes that we just quit that we were both like i i have no idea what this says and we just quit researching it. yeah it was it was a tough one <laughs> yeah um i'd love to get into the details of what happened recently in december if you're okay with that oh please do before that though luke it's a really important time for us and that's time to take a break for this week's luke's rant okay here's my rant very specialized this week, Ooh. and I'm bringing this back to uh, a near and dear thing to both of us pets. Aww. Um, so I'm doing a work trip like two weeks ago. The day I'm leaving, my dog is dying. I didn't even tell you this. What? I'm like, no, she didn't die. <laughs> Sorry. Good. Good. I should have started with that. Good news. She Luke. didn't die. But like we thought she was gonna die, oh my goodness. and we okay. just lost another dog like a year I know, ago, right? Yeah. So like I'm like bawling my eyes out. I'm leaving the next morning for this trip, and I'm like kissing my dog, thinking that she's gonna be dead. Here, it turns out she had a thousand dollar belly ache. It was like oh, I've been there. X-ray, you know, two hundred dollars. Ultrasound, eight hundred and some dollars. Medicine, yada yada yada. And they're like, oh, do chicken and rice for a week. I'm like I just spent a thousand dollars on my dog. You're operating. 
I don't care. Something if she, off I don't of this care animal. if she needs it or not. <laughs> <laughs> You're doing something. So I start, everybody's telling me at this conference, I'm at, oh, look at pet insurance, look at pet insurance. And I think pet insurance used to be better years ago, maybe. I think it's a scam. So it's like 90 bucks a month. You're, you're, and then you have a deductible of like $800 a year. So that means I got to pay like, you know, almost $2,000 before they pay me because I got to do my deductible and my monthly payments. And they only pay like 70% of whatever the total bill is anyways. So it's like, that means I got to be willing to spend like $3,000 on my dog before you are going to pay for any of it. And it's just, and I'm like, my, my dog, I mean, I love my dog. I really do. And I'd probably, I probably one of those weird people that would like spend like a lot of money on her, but like, I don't know if I'd admit that to too many people like out loud, um, but it, it has to be a sham. I mean, it, yeah. it, it makes no sense for, for an the insurance. Animal. You mean? Yeah. 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 It's just, and uh, then it's like, you can only go to qualifying vets, pre-existing conditions, just like humans, I think don't get covered, blah, blah, blah. It's, you know, yeah, what, I, you know what it reminds me of? It reminds me of those like car shield commercials. I guess they won't be a sponsor oh, yeah. now where it's like yeah, ice. Another. It's like ice teas. Like, Hey, you know what I cover all my cars with? car shield i'm like no you don't you don't drive used cars iced tea come on yeah like, so yeah i just it, so pet insurance i mean i'm not saying no to it and maybe nationwide will reach out and make me an offer we can sponsor Ooh, they could, them and yes cut us a that's deal. awesome you love animals i love animals if they could yeah. cut us a deal i'd be a, I, I i would totally lie about how good health pet insurance yeah, is no doubt if i I'm got not it for free that. yeah i uh have spent in an amount of money on my wife's cat that I will not tell any of you ever, no matter what. It's embarrassing. It is. But I do make her tell our new cats now um, that, you know, sorry, I, mom, mom spent all of the budget on the last yep. cat. So you all are just going to die. So in the you woods. have the conversations with the cats. Yeah, okay. exactly. All right. Gotcha. Moving back to moving back. fusion. So back in December of 2022, and this is what really spurred this episode on like really giant things happening in the land of fusion. Uh, researchers confirmed that they've overcome one really major barrier, producing more energy from a fusion experiment than was put into it. That's kind of the goal, right? We need more energy coming out than is going in. That makes this sustainable. That makes everything work. And that just and happened. December of 2022. And you were talking about what, 1930s mm -hmm. when experiments like, yeah, this is going to be great. This is almost 100 years later. So this is huge. I get it. That's great. The experiment took place where you were talking about the National Ignition facility at the Lawrence Livermore National Laboratory, the LLNL in California, the amount of energy they generated in this experiment is really little, but it was more than they put in. Just enough to boil a few kettles, they say. That's not a lot of energy. No. But what it represents is really very big for science. So this experiment shows that the science works, the theories work, everything they've been trying to develop for 100 years plus is working. So before scientists can even think about scaling it up, they need to repeat this process, which they haven't done yet. It needs to be perfected, and the amount of energy that it generates will have to obviously be significantly boosted. That being said, this experiment has cost billions with a B of dollars. So this isn't like, okay, we broke even. It doesn't talk about like the energy that went into 
a lot of the other things that no, happened. Just it was just the thing. experiment yeah. itself was yeah. successful in producing more energy than went into it. So, so I, I want to talk a little bit about like the like why this is so difficult for a second, if that's okay with you. Uh, uh, yeah, it's so, more than okay. So what the the current science that 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 they're working within, they're taking the deuterium and am I pronoun yeah, deuterium and deuterium and, and, and tritium and tritium and they're putting these together, they're combining and then it's giving off the energy and then making hydrogen, right? Um, the challenge and the re here, the reason this is hard is it's not like you just take these two things and you push them together. It has to be 150 million, no, yeah, 150 million degrees Celsius for this to occur. That is 10 times hotter than the sun. Yeah, so, I saw that. I saw it's like my what I saw was like it's over a hundred million degrees C. Like at that yeah, point, okay. 100, 150 million degrees and Celsius. hotter than the center of the sun. Ten times hotter what? than the sun, and and so and that's, it has to be compressed like a hundred billion times Earth's atmosphere yeah, or something. I, I, it's I have nuts. a couple of stats on what the machines have. To oh, do. it's nuts. The the the, the crazy it's like that's the challenge. It's not just like combining these things. It's like for these to combine and to release this energy, these are the conditions that they have to design for. And that's why you can't just like that's why plasma is required. That's why because they have because there if if you just had something that was 150 million degrees Celsius, it would literally melt the Earth, right? I mean, it's just like it just wouldn't. Seems work. like it. So. Um, so that's the challenge is the, the temperature that they're dealing with and the, the pressure that this has to be under. And for all of that to happen, the cool thing is it doesn't take a lot of fuel to produce the energy needed. So it's literally like a very small amount of fuel is required. Yeah. So it's not like they need to put in like, you know, like a thousand gallons of, you know, deuterium and a thousand gallons. It's literally like minute volumes and it releases so much energy. So, right. And, you know, I guess one of the other big points is that since fusion energy production isn't based on a chain reaction like fission mm. is, it can't cause nuclear accidents. Super safe. So super safe. The resulting waste isn't super radioactive and destroying everyone. It's super safe if you can make it happen, yeah. which is I'll, why this is something they're spending billions and yeah. billions of dollars researching. So he here's why they're spending billions and billions of dollars worth of research. You ready? I'm ready. Fusion could generate four times more energy per kilogram than fission or nuclear current nuclear power plants. So it's already mm -hmm. four times more energy than the nuclear, like volume to volume of fuel. And nearly 4 million times more energy than burning the equivalent amount of oil or it's 4 million times more efficient for the, the that's input crazy. fuel versus the energy that's released. Yeah. I mean, it makes sense why they're trying to do this. I mean, it, I mean, it, it seems like one of those things that'll happen like in the movie interstellar at the end of the, at the end of the movie, but it's just like, it's not going to happen in anybody's lifetime listening to this. I don't think. No, it, I, so here's the thing. The question is how long before we could see fusion. So they did an interview with someone by the name of Dr. 
Boodil. So he's a doctor. doctor. So he's probably not as smart as us, but he's up there, right? Close. Um, so he's at the Lawrence Livermore National Laboratory. He's a director there. I don't know what that means. Sounds smart. Um, he said, you know, obviously lots of hurdles, all this, you know, actually making power thing. In that experiment where they said they gained more power, they didn't factor in the power that it took to power the lasers, which was significantly greater than the amount of energy the hydrogen produced. Anyways, Dr. Boodle says, with concentrated or concerted efforts and investment, a few decades of research on the underlying technologies could put us in a position to build a power plant. So maybe 30, 40, 50 years, we'd be able to then build a power plant and hope that it works. So I expect in my lifetime, Luke, ugh, maybe at the end of my lifetime, not Luke, in my lifetime, I'm, probably I'm, not. I'm, I'm, yeah, I, I think I'm, I didn't want to say it. I'm going to miss the cut. <laughs> I think you're going to miss the cut, um, but it could happen. Can I talk about the machine real quick? And then I, I want you and, to. And so, so the, the, uh, the Tokamak T O K A M A K is the, is essentially the name of the machine that, that this, this uh, reaction occurs with him. So uh, the ITER, the one in in France right now, it uh, it weighs twenty three thousand tons. Uh, like I said, it its plasma temperature is one hundred and fifty million degrees Celsius, and the anticipated output will would be five hundred megawatts. I don't know, like if that's like. I'm not sure what that's relevant to, like whether it's time or whatever it is. Um, so it's the largest in the world. Uh, it has a plasma radius. So the the plasma field like that this can occur in. Uh-huh. And, and that's a part of the issue is they can create small plasma fields to do this reaction. But this one is 6.2 meters. So this is a not huge small. plasma field. Um, and it has a total plasma volume of 800 in 40 cubic meters. So it's a very large plasma volume. Uh, The magnets themselves, uh, there's 10,000 tons of superconducting magnets that produce the magnetic field to insulate, confine, and shape the the plasma. And the fact that they're doing this- Because it has to be in that shape. Yeah, it has to be for for containment purposes. Like, and again, that, this just feels like, like stuff that you'd see in like Doctor Strange. Like- Oh yeah, it's like like a- I'm using a magnet to control plasma and shape it like by not, I'm not touching it. It I'm doesn't sound it. real for it sure. It does not sound real at all. Um, so the, uh, uh, the, the, the magnet temperature, negative 269 degrees Celsius. It's colder than Pluto because they have to keep the magnets cold because of everything because it gets so hot everywhere else that needs to be a new phrase that's like a new catchphrase man it's colder than pluto colder out here than pluto. <laughs> um the uh, uh the the stainless steel vacuum vessel so this is uh the plasma field is inside of this um it houses the fusion reaction and acts as the first safety containment mm. barrier um the uh the blankets uh these shield uh the vacuum steel vessel uh and the external machine from the high energy neutrons that are produced during the reaction uh diverters these essentially uh exit uh 
uh, exhaust or waste gas and any impurities. And they actually take the, the highest temperatures in the machine. And then the, the most interesting piece in my mind is something called uh, the cryostate. So this is the chamber that all of this thing lives inside of. And this That's is where, where uh, Walt Disney is frozen. It right? is. It is. Okay. I think his head is at least his head. Yes. Um, so this is where you were talking about like the uh, the density and the pressure. So it is one million times less dense than everyday air. Um, it's uh, one hundred less dense than yeah, everyday dense. air. Yeah. So it's super super dense. It's mm -hmm. the world's largest stainless steel vacuum chamber in the world with 16,000 cubic meters in total volume. So this thing's big. Um and this is eventually where they're hoping to do ex the one experiment you were talking about was in California. This yeah. this iter in France is where I think they're hoping to continue with the research to again produce more energy than the required input. I wonder if these magnetic confinement reactors are going to get less funding or get, you know, get gone because of the inertial confinement reactors being the ones that, that were, I don't know. I don't know. Or vice versa. It like, says the magnetic ones work. are the more popular ones just because yeah. I think they tend to be more efficient and can produce more. Hmm. So interesting. Um, I only had one other thing I wanted to put out there. May I? Please do. Uh, so big question, right? Can fusion reactors be used or to blow up the world, produce weapons? No, good news. So although hydrogen bombs do use fusion reactions, uh, they require an additional fission bomb to actually detonate, to cause that to happen. So working conditions of a magnetically confined fusion reactor require a limited amount of fuel in the reactor. This fuel is continuously injected and consumed. Therefore, it's never sufficient and never enough sufficient amount of fuel to produce an instantaneous power requirement for a weapon. So that's very good. Also very good is the fuel that's needed, the deuterium and the tritium, is available all around the world, Luke. I got it's... some. I got some out back. Yeah, it's out back. Uh, deuterium can be readily extracted from ordinary water, so it is out back. And tritium can be produced from lithium, which is available all over the place in the land and in seawater and everywhere. So super sustainable in that fashion. So hooray for that. I like it. Anything else from your side, sir? Uh, I, you know, I'm going to take it back. I think I will see fusion in my, in my lifetime. What was it that swayed you? I don't know. I just, I mean, it's, it's so impactful if it happens. Like this is like one of the, this is like the Tony Stark arc reactor in reality. Like this could literally like power like entire countries and like places that can't even fathom like the ability to just access electric yeah. power oh or whatever. it would be like, a game changer like, th th this is like world changing technology and my guess is as soon as it starts to catch on or as soon as they start to produce actual amounts of energy that can actually power something um my guess is it'll catch on pretty quick so I i'm going to change my uh, I'm going to be a little less of a pessimist and think that in my lifetime, I don't think it'll power my house, but I could see like, I could see like Steve Jobs powering, you know, the Apple plant. Um, Steve Jobs, who's dead. Maybe he's frozen yeah. in the cryo chamber with Walt Disney powering <laughs> the Apple plants. Okay. I love it. I love the positivity, the optimism and mm -hmm. all of that good stuff. 
hopefully all of you are optimistic about seeing fusion reactors in your future as well. If not, well, sorry about your luck. Um, if any of you want to write in, tell us what we got wrong, tell us how great we did, how funny we are, any of those nice things that you say, go ahead and email us at unprofessionalengineering at gmail.com. And until next time, see ya.